Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. Father, um, bless the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts to be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, uh, don't let all of this, Lord, go in one ear and out the other, but let at least a little bit of it sink into our hearts and change us and transform us from one degree of glory to the next, that we might be more fruitful for your glory. Uh, protect us from the evil one. Don't let him come and snatch the word out of our mind before it finds the uh, place of conviction and application you want it to have. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, John chapter 4. And what we're going to look at today is modeling evangelism or teaching evangelism to those that we disciple. Um, So, John chapter 4, let's start in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were... He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And you can flip over to verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, y'all know this story. Uh, Again, we're still very early in Jesus' ministry. He's got five or six disciples. Um, The Jews hated the Samaritans when the Jewish nation had been taken into captivity. Some of the poorest people of the land had been left there to till the ground, so to speak. They had intermarried with the pagan nations around them, and so the Samaritans and the Jewish mind were like this mixed breed, not just ethnically, but religiously. And so the Jews really hated them. And very self-righteous Pharisees, they wouldn't even pass through Samaria. If they had to take a whole extra day to go around, they would. Uh, But Jesus and his Jewish disciples go straight through the middle and he's going to end up sharing the gospel with this Samaritan woman, which is this beautiful, powerful story. We're not going to really look so much at his evangelism, okay, because what we want to talk more about is discipleship and how he was training and teaching his disciples to share the gospel. Okay, so we're going to look at the idea of sharing the gospel, the spiritual harvest, and then sowing and reaping. So um, let's skip all the way down to chapter 4, verse 25. So this is after he's had this conversation about really picking up at the very end of his conversation. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. So the Samaritans believed in Messiah as well. He who is called Christ, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came, which is, I think you see God's providence there. If they'd come back too early, they'd have ruined the conversation. So he gets to the main point, and then the disciples come back. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? One of the things the disciples had learned is be careful when you ask Jesus a question. Uh, You know, because you may ask him a question, he may flip it on you and ask you a question back that you don't want to answer. So they come back, and they're shocked. Now, why are they shocked? Uh, A Jewish, this, this was such a traditional and patriarchal society. So for men and women to talk in public, period, was rare. And you typically wouldn't talk to somebody unless they were like your wife, your mom, or maybe your sister. 
So to just talk to a strange woman, you know, uh, most of the rabbis of the day, they just dis- considered women as a distraction from studying the Torah, right? Don't mess with those girls, boys. Just keep studying the Torah. Okay? But then to talk to a Samaritan woman, and then to talk to a Samaritan that we're going to find out, right, has had five divorces, and now she's shacked up with a sixth guy. Again, I, I have known some people that have had five divorces. And even today in modern-day America, if you meet somebody, that, you know, if you meet somebody that's had one or two or three, it's kind of like, well, okay, you know, divorce is pretty common today. You meet somebody that's had five divorces, there's a little bit of sense of maybe something's going on. In our sex-crazed, anything-goes culture, but you got to rewind 2,000 years in this most ancient, most traditional, hyper-conservative culture. To have been divorced five times is like the scandal of scandals. And Jesus says, that's the woman I want to talk to. Now, part of what's so beautiful about Jesus, and there's a lot that's beautiful about Jesus, right? But when you read through the gospel accounts, is he is all of the time breaking all sorts of man-made made-up rules, right? Politically, sexually, religiously. Listen, there is a good place for rules if they're really based on the Bible, right? This is not the anti-rule. But when there are cultural things that don't really have their roots in the Bible, that people start to exalt with kind of religious fervor, it can be a great thing to break those kind of intentionally, right? And Jesus says, that's what I'm going to do. He's going to blow past all these wrong rules and show the gospel. I mean, here's what it is today for us. Well, let me do it this way. I think if you wanted to rewind to the, say, 1960s, for a white person to sit down and have a friendly conversation with a black person about the gospel, that might stand out in the 1960s in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, that wouldn't stand out today. But I tell you what will stand out today is if you're a known Republican and there's a known Democrat... Y'all might be the same race. But to sit down and say, hey, let's have a friendly conversation about something much more important than politics. Let's talk about Jesus. People might think you've lost your mind. You know what I mean? Now listen, I, I don't know what it is where you're at. I remember reading a story. I know we got some people here from Liberty of Jerry Falwell Sr., okay, who tended to be fairly conservative. But that there was a man named Larry Flint. Any of y'all familiar with him? Okay. He was famous for starting a very graphic, pornographic magazine. And Jerry Falwell Sr. and this man became friends. And he would even, you know, I think Jerry Falwell Sr. had a plane and at times would give this man rides, places and stuff. And at one point, I think even his son was like, Dad, why are you hanging out with this? He's like, I'm trying to talk to him about Christ. It's kind of scandalous to a lot of people. So, is there, is there any place in our life where we're saying, I'm willing to share the gospel no matter what it costs me? Again, what, what am I trying to press on right here? Is I think too many of us have way too many things that are too valuable to us. Whether that's my free time or that's the culture of the people that I like and feel comfortable hanging out with. And we don't like crossing those so-called boundaries that we have put on ourselves to share the gospel with people. But remember, guys... I think way too many people in the church today have this circle the wagons and let's just keep our kids safe. And that's the way to lose the culture, lose the church, and lose your kids in the meantime.
the church is meant to be militant and not militant with a sword, but militant with love, going out and winning the battle by winning people, by winning hearts and souls and minds. And again, guys, this is the very early beginning of Christ's ministry, and he's trying to teach them something from the beginning. This is another side note. You know who usually oftentimes are some of the best evangelists? Brand new Christians. You know why? Because almost everybody they know is not a Christian. Because they're so excited about it. They, they haven't been around long enough to get bored with Jesus yet. They're still shocked. And, and they're not even, you know, Christian culturally wise enough to know to be like savvy and cool about it. So one of the best things you can do early on with the people you're discipling is go ahead and talk to them about sharing their faith, trying to get them doing it, trying to model it for them. Okay? Speak the hard truth to people, but do it in love. That's what Jesus is doing here. Now, the spiritual harvest. This is him kind of downloading with his disciples. Start in verse 28. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat! But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? I mean, this is almost comical how many times in the Gospels Jesus is trying to talk to them about spiritual realities, and they're hyper-focused on the physical realities. Did somebody get Jesus a snack while we all went to the grocery store? Not what he's talking about. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Now, Jesus is making this analogy. He's like, Ministry to me. People to me, it's like my food. You think about physical food. What does it do? It sustains us, it gives us nourishment, and it satisfies us. Now, I have known people uh, that, that they're preachers, and so they will say, man, I get so excited right before I preach, I can't eat. I don't care, I'll have to wait till afterwards. You know? I know people that, you know, in sports or something, they get so nervous. Sometimes they, about whitening, where I come from, Alabama football is like psychotically idolized, and people are like, I can't eat before the Alabama game, I get too nervous. You know, they're just they're so fired up about it. Okay. I, you ever watch Shark Tank? Have you ever watched that show, The Entrepreneurs? You know, and sometimes when they're trying to sell their business, I've heard people, multiple people use this line, I eat and drink this business. I'm what are they saying? They're like, I'm all in. I'm committed. I love it. I enjoy it. It keeps me up at night. It sustains me. It satisfies me. In a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. I love people so much. I love souls. It satisfies me. It sustains me to go after them. There's a sense of passion and zeal and almost intoxication with it. John Calvin says about Christ, he prefers the salvation of the woman to his own wants. So let me just ask you perhaps a convicting question. When's the last time you put aside some of your own wants to go after a lost person? Now, Maybe this is the last time for me. So maybe this is convicting for me to ask myself. Maybe there's been another one, but this one at least stands out. Christmas Day last year. So we're going almost back 365 days. Christmas. If there's one day that ought to be your time, it's Christmas Day, right? 
If there's one day that ought to be family time, it's Christmas Day, right? So Christmas Day, we're having our nice little family Christmas. Okay? And, um, you know, it's pretty warm in Birmingham on Christmas Day. And uh, I think my wife and daughter were like, we're going to go for a walk. You want to come? I was like, yeah, love to go for a walk, hang out with y'all on Christmas Day. We have next-door neighbors that are Hindu. They're devout Hindu from the subcontinent of India. I've tried to talk to them before about Christ. Uh, it's very hard to talk to them because they, I mean, no, they speak a lot better English than I do Gershurti. That would be their language, right? But it's still very broken English. So y'all have had conversations like this, right, where it's long and it's frustrating and it's meandering and you can't really understand everything. But I pray for them regularly, right? So I come outside Christmas Day, my wife and my daughter, you know, looking forward to just family time, we're going to walk. And here's my neighbor, you know. His name is Johnny, J-A-N-I. Hey, Johnny. And, and Johnny loves to talk. Hello, sir. And he comes on. And then my, you know, and I just, I look at my wife and daughter because I know what they're thinking and feeling. I'm like, y'all go ahead. And my wife's like, we'll wait for you. So they, what they do is they get on our street and they just start walking back and forth. And this is my wife being loving to me. She's going to get her exercise in. She's going to get time with our daughter. But she's also trying to kind of give me an easy out, right? So at any point I can say, hey, I got to go, you know, my family. You know, so they're just, they're walking. And I'm sitting here. But because it's Christmas Day, I don't remember how, but we actually, we get into a gospel conversation. And it wasn't a, you need to repent and believe right now. But we were talking about Christ and Christianity. And, um, and the whole time, you see my wife and daughter walking back and forth. And eventually they just said, forget it. And they took off around the block. <laughs> you know, and so I don't remember. It was a long conversation. But probably with this... There's, there's three generations in this family, so this is kind of the middle. With this man, it's probably the best conversation I've ever had. Much longer than I wanted it to be on Christmas Day, but I had it. Okay. Now, um, I just ask you, when was the last time you did something like that? Could somebody look at your life, could somebody look at my life and say, they're passionate about souls. They're passionate about the gospel. This is not just a job. This is not just a paycheck. This is not just a two-year internship to do something cool and different like the Peace Corps after they graduated. There's a passion for souls. And listen, guys, I will be the first to confess. I don't think I share my faith as enough as I should. And even many times when I am sharing my faith, I don't think I'm near as passionate about doing it as I ought to be. But I'm just saying, all of us together, if you're in that boat with me, let's be praying. God, have mercy. Soften my heart. Make my heart more like Christ. Because again... More is caught than taught. Better than finding the best evangelism book and the best evangelism Bible study and the best evangelistic illustration and the best evangelistically motivating podcast you can find. The best thing you can do is model it for your disciples. Because if they smell it on you, if you're believing it, it's a better chance they're going to catch it. Right? All right. And then sowing and reaping. Skip down to verse, let's go to verse 36. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored. And you have entered into their labor. From that city, 
Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I've done. You see there? I mean, she's, a, she's at best, she's a brand new believer. She's maybe not even a believer yet. She's maybe like right on the verge of becoming a believer, and she's already basically leading the whole village to Christ. So don't, don't think, well, i got to disciple them for two years first, and then like their last semester of senior year, that's when we'll start doing evangelism training. Get it in there in the very beginning. Okay? Um, part of what Jesus is trying to do is saying, guys, I'm trying to show you the normal pattern of kingdom principles. You sow and you reap. You sow and you reap. Sometimes you might do more sowing. Sometimes you might do more reaping. But this is the normal pattern. Christians are supposed to be about sowing and about reaping. And this is not just for professional paid Christians. This is for every Christian. He's showing them the urgency of the gospel ministry. Here's Calvin again. It is astonishing how drowsy and indolent they are in gathering the heavenly wheat. And daily experience proves that this wickedness not only is natural to us, but it can scarcely be torn from our hearts. For while all provide for the earthly life to a distant period, how indolent are we in thinking about heavenly things? Do you understand what he's saying there? He's like, most of us are really good at providing for ourselves when it comes to physical stuff. And I bet most of us, you know, especially if you've been on staff a couple years, it's like, you got some kind of savings plan, maybe life insurance, IRA, we're investing, we're thinking about that kind of stuff. And listen, none of that's bad. We probably should be doing all that. But when it comes to thinking about, I'm going to go ahead and be sowing seed, planning right now, sharing the gospel. Because it might, I don't know what y'all are seeing, but I'm seeing more and more, sometimes it takes two years of conversations to lead somebody to Christ. So if I keep punting the ball down the road to keep waiting, it's not going to go well. I need to be throwing out the seed liberally. Somebody asked me recently, I don't remember where or when this was, but somebody said, if you could go back and talk to yourself first year on staff, you know, what advice would you give yourself? And I was like, share the gospel more. Share the gospel more often. Share the gospel more boldly. Pray for more people to come to Christ. It would just, it'd be deeper in the basics. Right? Because you just never know what God is going to do in the long run. Don't look out merely for your own interest. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. But also for the interest of others. I love how practical and realistic the Bible is. Right? Philippians 2 doesn't say, never think for yourself. Because that's stupid. It's not realistic. You've got to think for yourself. He just says, don't just think for yourself. Think for other people. Love everybody you meet the way you love yourself. So do unto them as you would have them do unto you. And so, guys, this is just an easy question that I try to ask myself a lot. Because a lot of times when I hold back in evangelism, and I unfortunately hold back in evangelism way too often, it's like, why am I holding back in evangelism right now? It's like, well, because I think it could be awkward transition, right? It's an awkward transition from talking about football to talking about Jesus. And I just want to spare everybody the awkwardness. But it's like, well, no, I'm really just sparing myself the awkwardness. Because if I really believe doing to others as you would have them do it, if I was a non-Christian, would I want a Christian to jump through the awkwardness to talk to me about Jesus? And the answer is yes, every time. I mean, I'm going to say this, and some people may disagree, but I, but I really mean this. To me, evangelism is a little bit like pizza. And you say, what do you mean by that? In my opinion, there's no such thing as bad pizza. There is better pizza. There's like gourmet pizza. 
And there's worse pizza, but there's no such thing as bad pizza, right? Some pizza is better than no pizza. And I'm the same way about evangelism. There is obviously much better versions of evangelism, and there are obviously much worse versions of evangelism. But to me, there's no bad evangelism. I, I was talking to a guy that I'm psyching right now. He asked me a good question. He said, but are there some ways of evangelism that can almost do more harm than good? And I said, maybe. Maybe in the short run. I said, but you do get this in Philippians 1 where Paul says people are out there preaching the gospel from sinful motives. But what does it matter? The gospel's still going forth. Right? And God, God used a literal jackass in the Old Testament to speak to a prophet and to get the prophet to change his ways. If God could use that donkey, he can use this donkey. And he can use you. Right? Get the gospel out there and just see what it will do powerfully. I mean, guys, I still remember. So I come, I'm a Christian. I'm at Samford. Uh, I go to New Year's Conference my first time because I wanted to learn how to share the gospel. And back then we used to meet and get on buses in Atlanta. And I meet, get on the bus, go to Atlanta, don't know anybody, sit down by this older student, and he starts trying to share the gospel with me. I was like, yeah, this is great. I said, I'm a Christian. I said, that's the whole reason I'm coming to this camp service thing. He said, okay. After the meeting tonight, we'll go out on the streets of Gatlinburg and do evangelism. I was like, great, I'm all in. <laughs> okay, and listen, guys, I can still remember. You know, he took me out one night. The campus director took me out. I can still remember things that that campus director said, illustrations that he used. 27 years ago, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Be faithful in modeling evangelism. Now, why, why is this so hard? Modeling evangelism is hard, is it not? And I don't know, but you, it was hard 27 years ago, and it's gotten even harder now. To me, it has. Because evangelism has almost gotten harder and more awkward. And I'll just be honest. Sometimes it can be hard enough to say, hey, let's me, you go get coffee and talk about Jesus. Right? But, I, but I, that still feels fairly comfortable to me. Hey, let's me and you go get coffee and talk about Jesus. And I brought along a friend, and he's just going to sit here. It's like, well, it was a little weird, and now it just got real weird. Right? Now, I still think we need to do everything we can to try to find creative ways to model evangelism. But in lieu of that, here's what I'd say. And I'll go back to the example I was just using. After I got done having this long conversation with my Hindu neighbor, and I finally caught up with my wife and daughter on the walk, you know, my sweet little 15-year-old daughter, I mean, both of them, but my wife knew what I was talking about. Daddy, what were you talking to that man about? I was like, well, let me tell you about the conversation. And that's a form of modeling. That's what Jesus did right here. All the disciples had gone into town. So how do they know this story? They must have come back and afterward Jesus said, let me tell you the whole conversation. That's a good form of modeling is if you're just out having one-on-one conversations, but you can tell when you show up in your discipleship group, say, hey, let me tell you about the conversation I had last night with one of y'all's fraternity brothers. And here's what happens a lot of times. They're like, dude, are you serious? I thought that guy was a Christian. You ever tried talking to him? Well, no. Well, I did try talking to him. And here's what he said. And a lot of times that will spur them on towards, okay, i got to be doing more of this. All right? Um, Now, remember, guys, 
my little layman's definition, a more mature believer mentoring a less mature believer for the purpose of multiplication. If you leave off that last phrase, I don't know that we're really talking about biblical discipleship. We're just playing musical chairs. Come be in my Bible study for a while. Go be in somebody else's Bible study for a while. And it's just fun. And all little happy Christian kids can just hang out and play ping pong and eat hot dogs together. But if we really want to be on the move trying to win people to Christ, we're going to have to press out. And I promise you, it's going to take some awkwardness. And don't undersell who God can use and when and how he can use them. Again, who would have thought that one of the greatest evangelists in the whole New Testament would be a woman, a Samaritan woman with five divorces, and she's shacked up with guy number six. But here's the interesting thing. When she went back to the village, and remember, none of the women will talk to her, right? Would you want that woman, you know, hanging around you? But all the men kind of like to talk to her. And she said, hey, come see a guy that told me everything I ever did. They're like, that sounds really interesting. And they all wanted to listen. Okay. Let me give you one little side note that may be helpful in your discipleship. Um, and and I've, 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 in my 24 years of ministry, maybe I've done this four times, okay? And with the fraternity that I'm working with, and it, I'll say, who in y'all's fraternity do y'all think there's the least chance they've ever come to Christ? And usually they all know. Like, it's not even an argument. There's like one guy. And it's either he's like the biggest party animal, right? He's like the the drug dealer of the fraternity that gets into bar fights, or he's like the really intellectual smart guy that's an atheist with all the reasons. It's usually one of those two guys. You understand what I'm saying? And I'll just say, let's do this. Let's just commit to praying for that guy every day until he comes to Christ. I don't even challenge him to talk. Don't even talk to him. Let's just pray for him. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you really start praying for somebody every day and you live in the same house with him, what's going to eventually happen? Your heart's going to soften. Your heart's going to become compassionate. You're going to have to have a conversation. Right? Like I said, I think I've only done this four times in 24 years. So maybe I've done it once every six years. And two of the times, the guy came to Christ. Both times, it took about two years. But what do you think happened in the whole fraternity, and especially in my discipleship group when that happened? It was like fireworks going off. God can save him. God can save everybody. Anybody. And this whole prayer thing, it's for real. God, listen. God cares. Oh, my goodness. God will use me. God will use my prayer. Right? It's electrifying. You say, well, what about the time the guy didn't get saved? It ought to just leave you with more of a broken heart to keep praying, to keep hoping, to keep persevering. So, the woman says, come see a man. Come see a man that told me everything I did. Okay? And that's, guys, in a sense, what's good evangelism? What's good evangelism training? Is we're just teaching our disciples how to say. I mean, did you notice what we saw in John chapter 1? I mean, I loved it. It's what Andrew did. It's what assumed John did. It's what Philip did. They just said, come and see. Come and see. Come see a man. I think we found him. I think we found him. We can do this as campus outreach staff people, but even with the disciples that we're leading, the youngest, most immature, most backward, most messed up people can go to their friends and just say, come and see, I have found. Right? And then just invite them to a Bible study 
Invite them to a campus outreach meeting. Invite them to church. Invite them to a one. Listen, I'm just kind of hammering this because I think this is important, and I think in some sense campus outreach has been losing it over the years. The modeling thing, we got to find a way to hang on to it. And maybe the best way to hang on to it on the campus is tell the people you're discipling. If you ever get into a gospel conversation and you ever get stumped, call me. Invite me. I'll take you all to lunch. I'll take you anywhere to lunch in town you want to go. I'll pay for lunch. And your friend can ask me anything he wants to ask. And you can just sit there the whole time and smile and pray. And even that, they may not do it because it may be But every once in a while, someone will say, okay, I'll do that. And it's a great modeling opportunity. Okay. So look at verse 38 one more time. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now what exactly does Jesus mean by that? Uh, maybe he's saying, me and John the Baptist have been doing the preaching. We've been doing the heavy lifting. Maybe he's even looking back to the Old Testament prophets. They kind of sown the seed. And now, guys, you're just getting to do the fun stuff of reaping. But to whatever degree this was true for the disciples, it's more true for us. And here's how I mean it. The Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrificial love for us literally sowed His life in hell for us. I mean, he, he, he bore the literal heavy burden. And now he's like, you guys go reap the harvest. I mean, the next time we're like, ah, oh, evangelism is so hard. Training in evangelism is so awkward. and it, it, It's tiny. We, we get the fun part. We get the easy part. Go out there over joy for what he's done for us, and let's reap a harvest together. Let's pray. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for all of us. We will be honest with ourselves about where we don't love people enough, where we're too selfish. Would you give us more broken-hearted compassion and zeal for the lost? And then would you give us the wisdom and discernment how to best train our disciples and how to share the gospel? Pour out your spirit. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.